The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome to the Disability Law Show once again. Savannah Markin is on board answering all the questions, taking the emails, and spreading the knowledge. By the way, reaching out anytime um, when we're not on air. It's really simple. one 855 is the way to do that. Disabilityrights.ca. That is a website you can go to. You'll catch links to our television show there as well, disabilityrights.ca. You put help at in front of that, and you can send along an email. And I know we're going to make tons of reference to a uh, a very popular website, a question and answer website, mydisabilityquestions.com. You can go there if something uh, pops into your head while we're doing the show or any other time. Go to mydisabilityquestions.com. Lay the question down there. It'll be answered. It's also a searchable database. So you can see if your question has already been asked and answered in depth. If not, leave it there and uh, the team We'll get to it. Speaking of MyDisabilityQuestions.com, Savannah, I know you got a bunch um, over the last few days have, have flooded into the website. And you want to get to some of those, so uh, take off, pal. What do you say? Okay, John, let's start off uh, with mm-hmm. a question from Michelle in Mississauga, and here's what she writes. Can my company stop paying me my medical benefits if I apply and I am approved for CPP disability? Uh, if I apply for CPP disability, does that mean that I am not returning to work? Excellent questions, and Mm -hmm. and oftentimes, John, we field questions about CPP disability and employment-related issues in the context of someone who's on long-term disability, which is what we deal with. Actually, that's not true. We deal with long-term disability and employment law issues. Those are the focus of the lawyers of what they do at our firm in Ontario and in BC and very soon in Alberta. So this is really key. So let's just break this down. I will tell you this, John, uh, side note, I had to actually ask Lior, uh, our employment law guru, about the first part of this question here. Can my company stop paying me my medical benefits if I apply and I'm approved for CPP disability? And his response was that mm-hmm. if the uh, employer had been paying you your medical benefits while you were off on disability, for them to stop your, your medical benefits could constitute constructive dismissal because it's become a term of your employment, arguably, they continue to pay it while you're off work. And so again, we tell people, and you tell people as well, you and Lior when you do the employment show, uh, that if there is a potential for constructive dismissal, you should be contacting us so we can give you, uh, you know, advice about what it is that you can do and, and what it is that your rights are and what kind of compensation you may be entitled to. So that's the question here. Uh, the company does have obligation vis-a-vis this individual here, Michelle, uh, and they can't just unilaterally stop doing something that is part of arguably her employment contract. Now, the second part of her question is, if I apply for CPP disability, does that mean that I am not returning to work? No, it does not. I get that question all the time from people who are on long-term disability. They tell me, well, does this mean if I'm on LTD that I'm never returning to work? Absolutely not. In fact, John, you and I time and time again over the years have said, if you are able to go back to work, go back to work. The whole purpose of CPP disability, of LTD, of any of these kinds of income replacement programs is to help you while you are disabled from working. Now, the test to get CPP disability is, do you have a severe and prolonged disability, injury or illness or combination of those two that prevents you from working? But if at some point in the future, you are better off and with your doctor's consent, advice, recommendations and guidance, you can go back to work, you should go back to work. 
So no, once you get CPP disability, it does not mean uh, that you're never returning to work unless that's in fact the fact. I mean, that, that's if that's the situation, you know, you're, you're so injured or disabled that there is no way you're ever going to go. But you don't need to ask me that. From a legal standpoint, getting CPP disability or LTD does not preclude you from going back to work when you are ready. And in fact, you should be going back to work when you are ready. And also, I mean, there's there's benefits to CPP disability. I mean, I think we've discussed this before. I mean, first of all, it's it's arguably a tougher test than your private insurance. So if you qualify for CPP disability, it's going to be really hard for your insurance company to justify cutting you off, saying you don't uh, you don't qualify anymore, right? Yeah, that's the second piece of uh, you know the conversation about CPP disability in the context of long term disability. People often ask me, I don't know that there is, in fact, a week that does not pass by without someone shooting me an email or posting a question on that website that we have, mydisabilityquestions.com, or calling me and saying, you know, do I need to or should I apply for CPP disability? And I go through the analysis, the same analysis we go through here, John, and say it is to your advantage to apply for CPP disability if you are on LTD because of X, Y, and Z. And those X, Y, and Z we've talked about before include the fact that if you get approved, it's more difficult for your insurer to say that you're not disabled and cuts you off. And cut you off. Uh, and also, if they do cut you off, you still have an income stream from CPP disability while we fight the insurance company. You know, there are all these advantages for applying. But again, I want to stress this. You apply only if, in fact, you are disabled from working. I don't want people to try and take advantage of the system. That's not what it's there for. There are many people out there who need CPP disability, who need LTD, uh, and, and they don't get it because these insurance companies, unfortunately, are not doing what's right. And this is where we come in and we help people. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the number. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Any time toll free, of course. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. And again, we're uh, we're talking about some things that have been submitted to mydisabilityquestions.com. Give me another one. What else? Uh, what else came through this week? Here's an interesting, interesting question here that came in um, that uh, I had to uh, think about uh, for, for for a minute or two. This one came from uh, Dina in Richmond, and here's what Dina writes. My insurance company informed me yesterday that I must go see a third-party doctor to be assessed and that I must consent by tomorrow. Note the very, very strict timeline here. Uh, In the consent, it states that I am required to provide biological testing for alcohol and other drugs by urine, hair, nails, or oral fluids, etc. Am I legally obligated to consent to biological testing? If I do not consent, can the insurance company stop my claim? This is interesting, John. I, I actually haven't really seen this uh, before. That To me, that appears very invasive. Now, I don't know what Dina's disability is. I don't know if, if her disability stems from an addiction, uh, substance abuse, or whatnot. But to me, first of all, the, the first concern I have is that the insurance company tells her yesterday that she has to sign something by tomorrow. Okay, it's just a very, very tight timeline, and I don't, I don't understand why uh, you know, they would have done that except for to apply pressure on her and to tell her that if she doesn't sign that consent, they're going to do something, like stop her benefits or something like that. And insurance companies will often, uh, from my experience, apply these kinds of pressure tactics, and I want to make sure people understand this. You know, you are only obligated to do and comply with the terms of your LTD policy. The insurance company can simply ask you to do anything under the sun, under the guise of, well, we're the insurer, we have the power, you're the insured, you're the disabled person, you got to do what we tell you. No. 
Absolutely not. This goes back to our conversation, John, about this power imbalance, this perception of power imbalance that people have between them and an insurance company, not just in the context of LTD, in any context, travel insurance that we've spoken about, house insurance, car insurance, etc. Remember that when you have an insurance policy, whether it's a disability policy, house insurance policy, car policy, whatever, what that policy is, is a contract. And you always have to go, if you have questions about what the insurance company is telling you or asking you to do, go to the policy. You know, so what I told Dina here, I said, first of all, I said, advise the insurance company that you're not refusing to be tested by this third-party assessor, okay? We talked about that before. If the insurance company in the disability context wants you to see one of their, their doctors, you do have to comply. They have a right to have you assessed by one of their doctors. However, however, uh, there is a limit, in my mind at least, to what the insurance company can ask you to do. And these kinds of biological testings here, I need to understand why it is that the insurance company needs her to consent to this kind of invasive testing. And, and what I told Dina is, tell your insurance company, tell the adjuster in writing via email that you're not, it's not that you're refusing to be assessed by, by this doctor. It's that you want an explanation as to why this consent that requires you to agree to this invasive testing is required, number yeah. one. Number two, ask the adjuster to tell you where in the policy does it give them the right to, to have you, uh, uh, you know, uh, subject yourself to this kind of testing. Remember again, it's a policy, it's a contract. For the insurance company to say you need to do something, you have a right to go back and say, well, tell me where in the policy it says I have to do that. And if it does not say that in the policy, well, guess what? You don't have to do it. Right? I mean, the insurance company sometimes will read something into those provisions, but you know, once they do that, once it's not explicit, in other words, once they say to you, we're denying your claim on the basis of X, or we want you to do Y, and they can't point to where in the policy it gives them the right to do that or to ask for that, at that point, they are on, on you know, shaky ground here in terms of whether or not they can take the position they've taken. And if you have questions, then again, you go to mydisabilityquestions.com and you post a question just like Dina, or you contact me. You know, John, I, I can tell you that um, I, I, I like to work out, as you know, uh, but I don't know that over the last year I've had more, more of a workout than, than what my fingers have when I'm answering like nonstop emails from people from across the country people who are under the gun, who are feeling like they're being uh, harassed, pressured, you know, by their insurance companies. And I give them the advice and I tell them, this is what I think you should do. And, and whether you want to follow my advice or, or not, or, or take something from that, that's up to you. But I'll be more than happy to give that to you. And it costs absolutely nothing, nothing to communicate with me, with a member of my team. If you have any concerns about your long-term disability claims, please, please, please don't be silent. Uh, you know, contact us, ask your question. We'll do our best to answer you as soon as possible. Yeah, we got yeah, just a couple minutes till we take our first break here, Savan. But as far as the assessment goes in general, I mean, you're talking very invasive one there. But in general, the assessment, when asked, you do have to go for the assessment. But as far as getting treatment, they cannot tell you where to go. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and oftentimes insurance companies don't really explain that. Mm -hmm. And this is a very important distinction. The insurance company is entitled in the long-term disability context, right, under a policy like that. Usually those policies have provisions that say if the insurance company wants to have you assessed by one of their doctors or one of their consultants, you have to do so. Uh, and that's fine. They have a right to. What they don't have a right to do is to tell you that you have to go get treatments from this particular clinic right. or this particular doctor unless the policy specifically states 
that you have to do that. And I have yet to see a policy that says you have to go to Dr. John's clinic to get treated. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that makes no sense. No policy would ever stipulate that. And the reason why I'm telling you be very careful of going to the doctors and clinics the insurance company recommends is not because these doctors and clinics are bad. They could be very good. They could be the top of of their field. But, you know, I'm suspicious and I'm skeptic as to why the insurance company wants you to go to see that particular doctor and that particular clinic. You know, what are they getting out of it? Because certainly it's not to make you better. And and Mm -hmm. I have seen situations where people have been sent to these clinics, these doctors, and then down the road, these clinics and doctors crank out reports about the person's progress, which are beneficial to the insurance company, not the individual. Right. So again, I, that's why I tell people, when you choose where you get treated, you go to your own family doctor, get recommendations for a clinic, speak to your friends. If you have a clinic in mind, go to those people. You know, Be careful of going to get treatments from whoever the insurance company recommends. We'll take a short break. Lots more on the way. You want to get in touch, you can do so. Uh, email is help at disabilityrights.ca. The website is disabilityrights.ca. We'll have links to our television show, long-running TV show there as well. Uh, Toll free, though, one 821 5900 We'll get to more uh, reference of mydisabilityquestions.com. And a little later on in the show, myths that LTD insurers want you to believe, which are simply not true. That is coming up. Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. Savannah Markin is your uh, co-host here and giving you all the information and the heads up that you need every hour during this uh, during this show. Disabilityrights.ca, by the way, is the website. That's the master website. You want to go there, check everything to do with disability law. There's links to our television show. An opportunity for you to answer or at least ask questions, get them answered by the team at mydisabilityquestions.com. There's a searchable database there. You can uh, look for your questions, see if it's been asked before. If not, uh, Savan or a member of his team will get to it pronto and give you an answer in that regard. And, of course, the phone number always works. You want to have a uh, lengthier, more of a private chat, one 855 5,900. Get some emails here in just a bit, Savan, but you have a, a few more things came up on mydisabilityquestions.com. What, uh, what's up next? Yeah, absolutely, John. Here's another one. This one comes from Daniel in Victoria in BC. And Daniel writes, what do I do when my insurance company will not approve my LTD claim? I have gone through the proper steps to get approved, and they keep saying that they need more information and can't approve me. Oh, boy. John, we should use this on a commercial or something. Uh, So Daniel's experience, unfortunately, is extremely common. When the insurance company keeps saying, sorry, we don't have enough medical documentation, or just even generally, we don't have enough documentation supporting your claim for disability under this short-term or long-term disability policy. And, you know, what I tell people is that this is not rocket science. The insurance company is overcomplicating it. They're hoping you're going to just step away, walk away from the money that's owed to you under these policies. Remember, the insurance company is not there as your friend. They were paid premiums. They collected premiums in order to be there when you need them to be there to pay you for your disability for that period of time where you can't work. And so... If you are disabled from working as a result of an injury or an illness, I don't care if it's psychological, if it's physical, if it's objective, or if it's subjective, 
If you are legitimately unable to work or unable to complete the essential tasks of your own occupation or any occupation, depending on where you are in the policy, and your doctors or whoever's treating you, psychologist, psychotherapist, whoever, the chronic pain doctor, if you have people treating you who wrote to the insurance company or provided letters, reports saying this person is disabled from working because of X, Y, and Z, if you have that, that should be enough for the insurance company to approve your case. But time and time again, I see people who are being thwarted, who are told, sorry, there's insufficient medical documents. Let me tell you in what instance I can see the insurance company being correct with that argument. If, if I was the insurance company and you, John, applied for long-term disability and you handed me a paper napkin from your family doctor with a one-liner that says John is unable to work, sorry, yeah. that's not enough. But if your doctor or your doctors provided an explanation, they said, here's the reason why. John is suffering from major depressive disorder. He's unable to work because he can't do X and Y. Uh, we're going to reevaluate over over the next few months. You know, this is what I've recommended for treatments, and he's following those treatments. Those kinds of letters, as soon as the doctors confirm you are disabled from working, the insurance company should approve you. And if you are denied, despite having these kinds of letters and and and, and reports given to the insurance company, don't play anymore. Don't play their game. Don't go back trying to get more letters from your doctors. Don't go back trying to ask your doctors to help you appeal those decisions, right? We talked about appeals many times. These appeals are useless. They're completely useless. They're internal processes designed by the insurance company to just have you go around, you know, uh, the the, the merry-go-round. And at some point, you get off the merry-go-round and you just say, okay, I'm just going to walk away. There's no way the insurance company is ever going to pay me. No, that's completely wrong. If you are disabled from working, if you've provided the necessary medical documents, in other words, something from your doctors explaining why you're disabled from working, and the insurance company said, sorry, we're not approving you, contact us. Because here's what we're going to do when you contact us. We're going to ask you basic information. You know, what kind of job do you have? Mm-hmm. Um, who's the insurance company? When were you denied? Can we see the denial letter? Can we see some of those reports you gave them? Once we have that, or once we have that preliminary discussion with you, and it literally takes five, ten minutes max for us to be able to tell you, yes, you have a case, or no, you don't have a case. I mean, we have that happen too. Sometimes we tell people, sorry, the insurance company is correct. I know I'm shocking people here. It is true, though. Insurance companies sometimes are correct in their denials. Hmm. But more often than not, when people contact me and my team and they explain the situation, we generally find that the insurance company has not acted correctly has not acted appropriately and, and frankly, has not acted legally in denying these claims. And that's when we jump into action. That's when we give the individual options. And the individual can then choose if he or she wants to pursue a claim against the insurance company. And, you know, we've had cases where just by sending a single letter to the insurance company, the insurance company backed off and restored whatever the the individual was owed, uh, you know, by way of retroactive pay, reinstatement onto the benefits, etc. Sometimes we have to take a bit of a harder line approach with the insurance company, go after them more aggressively. And if that happens, they get a defense lawyer as well. And guess what? Within a matter of a few months, we get to a mediation and we resolve the claim. Because insurance companies are not in the business of fighting these kinds of claims. That's the thing to remember here. They may tell you that they're going to reject your claim time and time again. You may hear horror stories from your friends and family members and loved ones that there's no point fighting insurance companies. No, that is completely untrue. And I'm talking now as somebody who used to work for insurers. Insurance companies hate legal fights. 
it, it's it's it, because a legal fight for them means that they're paying their lawyers. They hate paying their lawyers. That's just lost revenue. That's just lost money yeah. that they have to throw out. So so you know, but but the, the the problem is that unless you break through that mirage of that power imbalance, they're not going to pay you. They're simply going to assume you're going to be one of the majority of people who's going to walk away from the money that's owed to them. So so that's the answer here, the long answer to Daniel here from Victoria. What do you do when the insurance company won't approve your claim despite giving them medical documents in support of your disability? You contact us immediately. We will have that conversation with you for free and we'll tell you what your options are. And then you'll decide what you want to do. And most most often, John, it, it does result in us jumping into action and resolving the claim, forcing the insurance company to pay. You know, it's funny. One thing you said in there is, you know, you start a legal claim and then they get their legal team involved. And a lot of people would say, well, that's too scary. See, I don't want to do that. There's lawyers and all that stuff. But no, no, they... I think it's it's key to understand that once you get past that that barrier of dealing with the uh, you know the person who's cutting you off and then someone in the claims department, once you get their legal team, they understand what you do. You understand what they do, so they want to come to a resolution. It's actually better to get their legal team involved so you can wrap this up, right? Hundred percent. You're absolutely yeah. right. And remember, I mean, we as lawyers, we know each other. I know the defense lawyers. They know us. Right. You know, that's where, you know, reputation comes in, into, into play. I'll tell you more than this. We we often get referrals. In other words, people who are disabled get referred to us by defense lawyers. Get this? <laughs> defense lawyers are the ones oftentimes referring people to us because they can't act on behalf of these individuals. They're protecting the insurance company. But they tell you something with, when a defense lawyer for an insurance company refers an individual to us so that we can help them, that tells you, in, in what high regard they hold our firm when it yeah. comes to long-term disability. And it's the same thing on the employment side. We're very, very high, you know, highly regarded. And, and that's just the reality. When the lawyers start talking, right, then the clients start listening, including the insurance company. And insurance companies, again, are not in the business of throwing away money on their lawyers. They're just not interested in that. But unless we press them, unless we use the levers of the, of the, of the legal you know, system, to, to really force them to pay you what you're owed, you're not going to get paid. It's, it's just, yeah. you know, why would they pay you? That There is no leverage. We generate that leverage through our knowledge, experience, expertise. That's what we do. And, and by the way, John, I think people here know, in fact, they've heard it before, Tamara Gopian, one of our uh, senior lawyers, she used to work up until a year and a half ago. She was one of the senior lawyers for one of the largest disability insurance companies in the country. She's now working on our side. She's representing people who are disabled. I mean, her entire background is defense-oriented. So you can understand that, you know, we have a certain level of expertise in this area. We have lawyers, myself, James Fireman, other people who've worked on the other side, right? So we're not just here to just tell you something, uh, you know, that you may or may not believe. We're giving you hard-cold facts. Insurance companies would prefer to resolve claims than test to see what's going to happen in court because they know that if you are legitimately disabled and your doctors back you up, they know we'll take this all the way if we need to and they will lose and they will lose in a major way, which is yeah. why they come to the table with us and negotiate. Uh, contact, reaching out really simple, toll-free, 1-855-821-5900. That is the way. The email is help at disabilityrights.ca. What else have uh, we got going on today, pal? So just a ton of stuff, John. I'm just going to keep yeah. going here. I have Nancy yeah. here from Ottawa, and here's what she wrote. This, this will break your heart. Uh, I've been on disability for breast cancer for approximately 18 months. I attempted a gradual return to work, but was unable to continue due to anxiety and lingering effects from chemo and radiation. 
My LTD insurer has discontinued my benefits. I am currently in the appeal process. My employer says that this is an unapproved leave and we are going to di- and are going to discontinue uh, paying my medical benefits. Are they entitled to do so? Again, you can see how the employment and disability uh, parts of the equation come together. And, you know, I-, I had been communicating with Nancy here, and my understanding is that she ended up retaining a different disability firm, which is absolutely fine, no issue with that. You know, I, I tell people here, full disclosure, we're lawyers. I'm a lawyer. James is a lawyer. Tamar, mm-hmm. Albert, Mike, people on my team, we're lawyers. That's what we do. But right. here's what distinguishes us from many other firms who say that they do disability, long-term disability. We have a, a concurring practice that is focused on employment law. In, in fact, you know, when Lior and I started the firm, it was just he and I back in 2007. Uh, and, and, I mean, we've grown now. We're, we're close to 40 lawyers now amongst all our offices. And, yeah. you know, we focus on really only two areas of law. That's really what we'd love to do. And that's employment law and long-term disability law. And those are intertwined. And the reason why this lady here, Nancy, contacted me and I've been in communication is because the lawyer she hired for the long-term disability component of the claim doesn't deal with employment. Now, here's the problem. If you have an employment lawyer dealing with the employment side of your case and a disability lawyer dealing with the disability side, they don't necessarily talk if they're from different firms, right? There's a bit of a rivalry, you know, unfortunately. But when, when you come to us... First of all, we have hybrid lawyers, lawyers that focus both on disability and employment. That's what they do. They do both areas of law. So they're aware of the you know, nitty-gritty and the nuances of, of, of you know, how those two areas of law intersect. But even if they don't, even if you just choose an employment lawyer and disability lawyer in our firm, again, you're combining forces. It's people from the same firm. The left hand knows what the right hand is doing. And that's key because if you choose lawyers that will help you from different, for, for different parts of the claim from different firms, you could end up in a situation where the employer, employment lawyer does something that prejudices your disability claim and vice versa. Now, I can, we can do full shows about those kinds of errors. In fact, you know, we run uh, seminars at my firm for the lawyers at my firm, uh, just to update them on the law, about exactly what those intersecting points are between employment law and disability law and what employment lawyers should be mindful of when they're dealing with an employment issue for a person on disability and what the disability lawyers should know you know, they need to do for people who also have employment law issues. So it's absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial that when you have an employment situation uh, with your employer uh, and when you have a disability issue with your insurance company, especially when those two intersect, that yeah. you approach us. And I say us because I'm not aware of any other firm that has this dual expertise the way that we have that dual expertise. So, you know, that's, you know, that's really what I want to say about this particular email from Nancy. I, I helped her and, and I made sure that I put her in touch with one of our employment lawyers. But I also told our employment lawyers to, to just make sure that they correspond with her disability lawyer. Because again, if you have two lawyers that are not speaking with each other necessarily, helping you, uh, then you, know, you may find down the road that you are putting less money uh, in your yep. pocket. You know, because there is yep. that intersection of those two areas of law. You want to reach out to uh, Savan? No problem. He'll put you in touch with the uh, the other side as well. Same building, right there. Employment lawyers. One uh, eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Still one number. Uh, website disabilityrights.ca. Mydisabilityquestions.com is a resource for you to ask your questions as well. We'll continue with more of your emails and your questions from that website and myths that LTD insurers want you to believe, which are simply not true. That and more of uh, the answers from our pal Savan Tamarkin are coming up here. This is the disability. 
Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Okay. And welcome back, Disability Law Show, and uh, glad you're hanging out. If you want to contact Savannah to Markin anytime and uh, send an email along, make a phone call, you can do so. It's toll free, always 1 855 821 5900. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. If you go to the website disabilityrights.ca, by the way, you'll catch links to our 30 minute TV show. Similar nature to the radio show, but you'll see us on camera for a half hour, and uh, you'll learn tons on the uh, on the TV show as well. We'll get to uh, Nancy's email here in just a, a few minutes, Savannah, but you have another uh, another situation that came up through mydisabilityquestions.com. What would that be? That's right. This one comes from Chris in Kemble River, also in BC. Uh, tons of questions from BC this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, here's what Chris writes. He says, I have currently received a letter from uh, my LTD insurer. I've been on LTD for two years. Oh, sorry, I'm going to be on LTD for two years this coming March. They are giving me until December 10th uh, to appeal the decision of discontinuing my benefits uh, based on the fact that they think that I could do some kind of office work. I've been a tradesman all my life. I have reapplied for CPP disability. My doctor has documented several conditions that I have disabling me. My LTD provider wants new medical documentation. If you cannot see a specialist for months, how are you supposed to get new information in that time frame? It's like you inevitably run out of time from even having a chance of providing specialist reports in such a short period of time, 30 days. Should I get my doctor to provide a letter stating my current condition, or am I going to have to seek legal advice? If I get approved for CPP disability, would the insurance provider need to continue paying me LTD? Thanks in advance for taking the time to consider my options. Again, John, you can see people are in a very tough bind. Let's break this down. So first of all, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Number one, he says he's going to be on LTD um, or his the two years uh, for being on LTD will end next March for him. This is key. This is important. Why? Because in most policies, LTD policies, uh, they're structured in a way where at the two-year mark, uh, the test for being on LTD changes. So for the first two years, as most of our listeners know, to get LTD, you have to demonstrate that you cannot do the essential tasks of your own occupation, your own occupation. Beyond the two-year mark, the test changes. You no longer have to show that it's your own occupation that you cannot do. It's now any occupation. But here's the catch, and this is where the next line here uh, uh, is, is important in, in his email. Uh, he says that they want him to do some kind of office work, but he's been a tradesman all his life. Well, uh, beyond the two-year <laughs> mark, remember, it's can you do any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. You see, insurance companies often neglect that little part. Okay? Any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. Well, if he's been a tradesman all his life, how can they expect him to do office work? Right. You know, office work is not necessarily just picking up the phone. You know, and it, this is something that people need to understand. It's not that simple to just take someone who is in their 40s, 50s, 60s and plunk them into an into, you know, a different occupation. I, I always scratch my head, you know, when I hear people saying, you know, we, you know, especially down south in the States, people working in coal mines, you know, for 30, 40 years, and now we can train them to become, pro, you know, computer programmers or whatever. Like, you know, let's be realistic here. You know, people who have been doing the same thing over and over, who have limited education, 
they're limited in their options insurance companies don't care they simply don't care now one of the things that we know the courts look at when when these issues come up is commensurate income and there was actually a case that came out recently where the judge actually agreed that uh, I I forgot the exact percentage but commensurate income meaning that you know beyond the two-year mark for the insurance company to take the position that the person should be cut off benefits they got to show that he can get a job in that case that was paying him just over 70% of his pre-disability income yep Typically, we see commensurate income uh, being in the range of 60, 65, 70%. What does that mean? It means that uh, you will most likely not qualify for LTD beyond the two-year mark if you can do another occupation that pays you 60, 65, 70% of your income before you became disabled. So if you're earning $100,000, for example, before your disability started, and you can only get a job now that pays you $30,000, that's 30%, well, clearly that's not enough. So they can't ask you to go and work at Tim Hortons, for example, and make minimum wage, as an example. Right. But if, if, you can, if they can show that you can do a job, an occupation, that pays you $80,000 now, well, yeah, then they're correct. You will not qualify beyond the two-year mark. So, so that's why it's important here, because Chris obviously is being told that his benefits will end. Now, He's being told that he has until December 10th to appeal that decision to stop his benefits. I want to make this clear. These deadlines of appeals, these internal appeals for long-term disability denials are completely arbitrary. There is no legislation. There is no law that says that you have 30 days to appeal one of these decisions from a long-term disability insurer. So they're meaningless. And as soon as the insurance company tells you that your benefits will end on a certain date, as soon as you get that, now you have the legal right to make a legal claim against the insurance company to fight them on that. And you have two years from the date of that notice, when you got that notice. Okay, so that's very, very important to understand. These appeal deadlines are absolutely arbitrary, and you should ignore them. Now, let's let's move on, John, to uh, the, the second part of the question from Chris here, which is about the fact that he can't provide, uh, you know, the documentation or information the insurance company requires in time. And again, this is something that we need to understand. We're still in the middle of COVID. This pandemic is not over. Yeah. So for the insurance company to say that this is not sufficient, they don't have enough information, when you've given them all the information that they need, to substantiate the fact that you are disabled from working, that is simply inappropriate and the insurance company is wrong to do that. And I think that that's the basis for why they're telling him, uh, they're telling Chris, that his benefits will end uh, next March. But we can challenge that, We can, ch- especially since they told him, g- they've given him a defined date of when his benefits will end. We can fight them on that. We don't need anything else. And I told Chris to contact me so that I can tell him what the next steps are. And again, it's gonna cost them nothing to get this advice and to get this information. It's really, really important to understand that, that these insurance companies cannot do whatever they want. They can simply, you know, put their thumb on you and, and, and you know, you need to understand, you have a lot more power than you think to do. You know, that's really, that's really at the end of the day, the, the, the message here. Let's move on to an email, but we've got to take a short final break first. In the meantime, reaching out not just for the next uh, few minutes, but any other time, email is help at disabilityrights.ca. The toll-free number, 1-855-821-5900, and you can always use mydisabilityquestions.com as well. We'll return. Still a few minutes to go here. Disability Law Show with Savannah Markin right here on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. 
The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back. This is the Disability Law Show, indeed, with Savan Tamark. And you want to reach out, toll-free number, advise you to uh, use this anytime you like, one 855 821-5900. Our email for reference is always help at disabilityrights.ca. Nancy has promised your email is up. Nancy says, uh, guys, first of all, I want to say that I love your show and I think that you do a great job educating people about their rights when dealing with insurance companies. I had a case many years ago where I had to go after my insurance company because they stopped paying me. I ended up hiring a lawyer near where I live, but it was a horrible experience. He refused to work on contingency, and I insisted, and he insisted that I pay him hourly. I ended up paying him over $10,000 that I didn't even have. I had to borrow it from my parents, and he still wasn't able to get me a settlement. He basically appealed my denial twice and then gave up afterwards. This was years ago, and I'm still unable to work because of my sciatica and chronic pain syndrome. I'm 62 now. My question is whether there is any recourse against uh, this particular uh, this particular lawyer. Where can I oh, go? Boy. Is it negligent? Yeah. yeah. Nancy, I'm really so-, so first of all, thank you for your kind words uh, about the show. I'm really sorry for what you've gone through and and John, this is not an unusual uh, frustrated email or comment that I have received in the past. Ever since we launched this show years and years ago, I've been contacted by people who have told me their own stories about lawyers that they've hired that either didn't know what they were doing or simply milked them, you know, with just getting them to pay money and and they saw nothing for it. So this is really unfortunate. Look, I can tell you that we operate purely on a contingency basis and all that means, all that means, it's what you see on the billboards, okay, unfortunately in a very crass way, which is you don't pay until, you know, we win, so to speak. Essentially Mm -hmm. what that means is that Unless we can get the insurance company to pay you, we are not getting paid. In other words, we get a percentage. It's like when you sell a house with a real estate agent. You're not going to pay a real estate agent an hourly rate for doing work on selling your house. You're going to pay the real estate agent a percentage. And, and that's the way that we operate here. And, and from that standpoint, look, when I hear of a lawyer or a law firm that says that they're going to charge you by the hour and they want an upfront retainer, you know, for for a disability claim or an injury claim, that tells me that that lawyer or that law firm is either not serious or they don't know what they're doing or they're trying to, again, milk individuals who are in dire straits. You know, there are very, very rare circumstances where maybe that's appropriate. Like in a medical malpractice context, Sometimes you need, you know, some money up front to be able to retain an expert to help you. I mean, we don't do medical malpractice. We there's a law firm that we refer this kind of stuff to. It's just it's an area of expertise we don't have. But we do focus on disability claims, and in this disability context, Nancy, I can tell you that it should have been done on contingency. And the fact that that lawyer appealed your denial for long-term disability twice, and then gave up after that, to me, if it wasn't so tragic, it'd be comical. It's just completely inappropriate. It's, it's just, it's wrong. It's almost like a doctor who's trying to give you different medications for your ailment and at some point just gives up and says, I can't do anything for you. You know, when, when you can go to another doctor who can probably resolve your, your situation, you know, in a matter of a few days or weeks, you know, with, with, with proper treatments. So, no, can you go after that lawyer? Do you have recourse? We don't go after lawyers. It's just not something we do. Again, that's a specialty. There are lawyers that go after other lawyers. Is there negligence here? Again, I would need more information, but I can tell you this. There are many red flags here, 
And you know, John, we've done shows before where, and, and we're going to do them again in the future where we talk about the red flags. What to watch out for when you're hiring a lawyer, not just in the disability context, in any context. You know, when it comes to family law, when it comes to tax law, real estate law, you know, there are certain things that I think every lawyer should provide. You know, a certain level of service. We're in the customer yep. service industry, and lawyers often don't understand that or don't accept that. You know, they have egos. They think they're gods. They're not. They're not. Lawyers are fallible. They're human beings, and, and they should understand that. And in this case, Nancy, unfortunately, you know, I don't know how far back this happened, uh, but it's possible that you do not have any recourse against that lawyer. But word to the wise, this is the message from this email from Nancy here. Let's learn this lesson. When you are looking for a lawyer uh, for any type of law that you need, family law, real estate, personal injury, disability, you need to do your research. You need to make sure that you get the right law, uh, lawyer or law firm, or you will be very, very sorry. And financially, you can get hit really badly. And here, look at this. Nancy not only didn't get what she would deserve from the insurance company, she was $10,000 out of pocket for this lawyer. And in addition to that, she ended up not uh, recovering anything and going through all this process, this frustration. And I can tell you that when people come to us, we are very upfront. If you call me or email me, contact one, somebody on my team, we'll tell you, you have a case or you don't have a case. And it's done by phone, by phone or Zoom, Skype, whatever you want. It's not difficult for us to assess these kinds of cases. We help a ton of people all the time at any given point. I answer questions all over the country from people who have long-term disability claims for free because I want you to have this information. I want to arm you with this information so you can make the decision on how you want to proceed with your claim. It's your claim at the end of the day. So if you're like Nancy out there, but it's happening to you right now, you have a lawyer that you know, you're having difficulties with, again, shoot me an email. I'll tell you what I think, right? I'm not in the business of telling people to switch lawyers either, but I want to make sure people are represented properly, okay? I'm not the only disability lawyer out there. There are other lawyers that are very, very good, but you do have to make sure you do your due diligence here because otherwise you're going you're gonna to be like Nancy and you're going to email me years later saying, can I do anything about that lawyer? Nancy, appreciate you uh, reaching out. We're just about to uh, wrap up for the day. Want to remind you as well. Obviously, you've caught the uh, the radio show many, many times, but you can catch the TV show as well—a thirty-minute version of what we do here on the Disability Law Show for a very long time on radio. You could do that by going to disabilityrights.ca and finding the correct links. You know the email address, but for everybody else, that is help at disabilityrights.ca. And another, yet another form for you to ask your questions—a searchable database at mydisabilityquestions.com. That's a beauty. We used it all uh, all morning long here. That and the toll-free number to wrap it up, 1-855-821-5900. Savannah Tamarkin doing the show again today. Going to uh, take off until next time. You want to reach out, do so, and don't hesitate. Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.